Anna Nafantolberg for Bez News, South Africa could have its first mini nuclear reactor in just a couple of years. That is, if all goes to plan for a project led by South African venture capitalist Andre Pinar. He's the CEO, founder and head of investor relations at C5 Capital. And I have Andre in the business studio to tell me about this exciting project. Hi, Andre. Thanks for joining us from Washington. Then that's a great pleasure to be with you on with Biz News. Well, before we go into the project and what you're going to do in South Africa, just explain to us about these mini nuclear reactors. Yes, um, there's been a tremendous amount of innovation in the nuclear sector. Um, nuclear power hasn't been around for that long. Uh, we had the first civilian nuclear reactors in the 1950s. And then in South Africa, of course, in the early 1980s with Kuburg. So nuclear energy has been around for about 70 years. And in that 70-year period, there's been an enormous amount of innovation. And nuclear reactors are going through the same development cycle that we've seen with computing power and other areas of technology, where um, initially computers were the domain of governments, and you had those huge, large mainframe computers, very capital-intensive and only accessible to the few. And then we got desktops and laptops, and now we have computers in our phones and our watches. Computing power, enormous computing power, become accessible to everyone. And I think the same thing is happening with nuclear energy. The image that we all have of nuclear reactors traditionally um, is that is that image of those huge uh, reactor sites, uh, which which is such an eyesore on the landscape perhaps best personified by um by the Simpsons as um you know as, as something which is just a huge eyesore on the local community and potentially seen as hazardous. Um these are generation two and generation three reactors. And since then we've come a long way with nuclear innovation and it really all started with nuclear submarines and aircraft carriers who adopted the technology and modularized it and made it smaller and completely safe. And so for years now, for decades, the military have been using a small modular nuclear reactors on aircraft carriers and submarines, and, and that technology has now been developed further and is now safe for civilian applications, and we now have Generation 4 reactors, which are entirely safe. The reactor design is such that the reactor switches itself off automatically if there's any, any problem with the reactor. The reactor can't melt down because of the way in which the Reactors designed, and because of the uh, the pebble bed, or what we call nowadays the trisulfuel structure of the reactor, which means that the enriched uranium is encased in uh, three layers of graphite into into what we call the South Africa pebbles, and um, what we now call trisulfuel in the U.S. And all of this means that uh, nuclear energy is becoming smaller, um, more affordable more accessible, um, mobile, and that the range of applications that we can apply nuclear energy to, nuclear fission to, has become much broader. Well, you mentioned about the um, application, military applications. So have you built any of these smaller reactors um, for civilian, well, not for civilian use, but yeah, civilian use. I I know about another project you're working on in Texas. Yes. So it's it's very interesting. If you look, for example, at what the U.S. Defense Department is doing, um, although 
they've used small modular nuclear reactors safely on board of aircraft carriers and submarines, it's never really been applied for the broad and general energy usage of the Defense Department. The Defense Department is now um, is the largest energy consumer in the U.S., uh, in the federal government, and it's now very focused on their clean energy objectives. And so um, the Defense Department is has a program to replace all the diesel generators that they use on military bases with small and micro-nuclear reactors. And one of our portfolio companies, X-Energy, is a participant in this program. And, and this is much the same that will happen in the civilian sector. And so X-Energy, for example, is building the first small module nuclear reactor for an industrial plant in the U.S. partnership with um, the Dow Chemical Company at Sea Drift in Texas. And um, again, to use an analogy from, um, from the media world and from the world of Hollywood, um, this really is the story of, of Iron Man and Stark Industries, because Tony Stark, the main character in Iron Man, his family, Stark Industries, have their own uh, small modular nuclear reactor, which provides clean energy for all the industrial plants. And that's then what Tony miniaturizes to power his exoskeleton in Iron Man the movie. And I think we're going to go, we're going to see what really looks like something which is very futuristic being realized um, in the next few decades and in our lifetime. Well, you mentioned X Energy that your company invested into. What's in interesting about X Energy, the two X ESCOM workers or well, senior officials are actually working for X Energy. Yes, X Energy has, has many South African nuclear engineers as part of its team. They all came here to the U.S. on the same visa that Einstein um, used when he came to the U.S. because of their exceptional nuclear know-how. And so the South African nuclear industry have, have seeded the global nuclear energy sector with talent all over the world. Um, X-Energy is just one example. There are um, dozens of South Africans, for example, working in the UAE on um, the UAE's... Um, a nuclear program in the and the Barak nuclear uh, reactor program in the UAE, and that's just another example. And so, South Africa has really been a leader in the in the nuclear sector. Um, the Kuburg civilian uh, nuclear energy program has been a huge success. Uh, those reactors started in the 1980s. They've been the mainstay of energy and clean energy for Cape Town and the Western Cape region. Uh, they have an impeccable safety record. And they have one of the most cost-efficient sources of energy in South Africa by, com by comparison. And as a result, South Africa is a very strong nuclear ecosystem, not only of know-how and technology and engineers, but also from a regulatory point of view that's very well established. And so we have an opportunity to bring this know-how not only to the international community, as has happened through commercial circumstances, but specifically to the rest of the continent. Energy poverty is one of the biggest challenges we have in Africa with a, with a growing population, with a young population, uh, with several countries that have fast-growing economies. And South Africa has an opportunity to share our know-how in nuclear energy and in nuclear innovation to help end energy poverty across Africa. And this is really a tremendous and exciting opportunity for, for both the country and the continent and one that um, that we need to grasp with both hands. 
Well, tell us about this project and how far down the road you are to bring it to South Africa. We're at a very early stage, and um, and of course this is a long term, long term project. Everything involving nuclear energy, one has to think about the long term and always focus on on long term objectives. The average life of a reactor is eighty years, so you've got to take a perspective that goes on for longer than the life of just one individual. You're going to think on an intergenerational basis. Of course, that's fantastically exciting because you can think about the long-term future of the country and of the region and of Cape Town as a city. And that in itself is a huge vote of confidence for South Africa and for South Africa's future. Um, the second attribute of these projects are that even though small modular nuclear reactors are much less expensive than the old generation three reactors and only a fraction of the cost of the old and outdated um, reactors that Mr. Zuma tried to foist on South Africa, it's still capex intensive. And so one still has to focus on on long-term capital expenditure and, and development. But the flip side of that is because of the, um, the duration of these projects and because of the duration of this uh, generation capability, um, your cost, your your production cost is constantly being reduced, um, as we've seen with Kuburg, which now produces energy at a, at a fraction of the regional cost. So with that long-term perspective and that capital expenditure and investment perspective in mind, we're, we're at an early stage in the project. We've completed our feasibility study, and our feasibility study, which is a very important milestone, confirms that this project is feasible with private sector financing. And I think that's the really... That's really the distinguishing factor in our model. We're not asking the South African government for any capital, for any money. Um, this is all private sector financed. And this is possible, one, because of the nature of the technology, because there's more private sector financing now available for this kind of innovation. There's also international finance available. Uh, the US Exxon Bank is a very active funder of these kinds of projects around the world and if announced several projects already in Romania and Poland and other places. And then finally, um, the model is premised on us having guaranteed offtake from a number of private sector customers. And in, the ca in this case, for this first reactor, these will all be big technology companies that have data centers in the Western Cape. The Western Cape um, has become uh, one of the main hubs for, for data centers in South Africa and in Africa and globally. Some of these data centers are tied to global infrastructure. And it's very important that these data centers, which is really the industrial computing power that underpins cloud computing and machine learning and artificial intelligence and all the great things that we can do with innovation, it's really important that they have a reliable, constantly reliable um, base power, base load source of energy. And small modular nuclear reactors are perfectly suited for this. And that's why Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, globally have announced that in the future, all of Microsoft's data centers will be powered through the clean energy that comes from small modular nuclear reactors. Sure. Okay, so um, can you just sketch a little bit what it might look like? You're thinking of Kuburg, how big is it? How much energy will it deliver? Yes, so, so one of the terrific things about small modular nuclear reactors and micro-nuclear reactors is that they you can you can blend them into the urban or the rural landscape in a way that's aesthetically pleasing. Uh, Rolls-Royce, for example, in the UK have recently published 
images of the design that they are developing for the small modular nuclear reactors um, that they are developing in, 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 in Britain. And it really is pretty. And that's, you know, nuclear has never been pretty. And the fact that nuclear can now become aesthetically pleasing and, uh, and no longer an eyesore in the landscape is in itself uh, really terrific. Now, nuclear energy really is a form of solar energy because both nuclear f uh, fission and nuclear fusion are based on the chemical processes that the sun used to generate our energy that our star and our solar system generate to, to create energy. And so um, it is a very natural form of energy. And with a small modular nuclear reactors, one also doesn't have the, the nuclear waste problem that one had with the old generation three and generation two reactors. It was really, in a way, experimental. It was the first applications of this source of energy. So the, the first reactor, of course, is, is really important in terms of, of establishing this technology in South Africa. And because of the Pebble Bed program in which South Africa was a world leader, the regulatory framework in South Africa is actually one of the most advanced in the world. So one of the really rich legacies of the Pebble Bed program is that South Africa has an excellent framework for nuclear innovation, which many other countries are still working on and have to get to and have to develop. But um, that framework, despite the scrapping of the program, I must assume has endured and remains available. And so as a result, a lot of the rules, regulations, and permitting that's necessary to build the first reactor is already in place in South Africa. And that makes the really attractive location for the first reactor. And in particular, uh, at the Kubrick site in um, near Cape Town, and then of course at the Nexus site in Gauteng. And the first reactor will generate about 320 megawatts, which means four modularized units of 80 megawatts. If you think about the Kuburg produces at an optimum level about 1,800 megawatts, that's a very significant part of Cape Town and the Western Cape's energy needs. Um, there's one other source of major energy generation in the, in the region, which is the hydro project. And then for the rest, the Western Cape has to import its, its energy. It's really important that we marshal and steward this opportunity to extend the life of the Kuburg plant very responsibly and get it done. And I know ESCOM and the government um, are working on this. Uh, but in the eventuality that, that that doesn't go according to plan and that we that the Western Cape and Cape Town can't rely on Kuburg as a source of base load energy uh, for the future, our uh, aspiration here is that there will be a network of small modular nuclear reactors, six in total, that can either supplement because the energy needs in the region are growing or um, or substitute some of Kubo's contribution. And at the same time, this is an opportunity to revive and refresh the nuclear ecosystem in South Africa and in the Western Cape region. The nuclear ecosystem is very focused on, on the Western Cape region because of Kubo, who's been, mm. been there for, for, for decades. So that makes it the natural place to start because of the strength of the ecosystem there. And one of our partners, um, Lesedi Engineering, which is the leading... A nuclear engineering firm in Africa is headquartered out of Cape Town. It all sounds incredibly exciting. So what is the timeline? When do you think this could be realized? Well, there are different work streams. There's, of course, the, um, there's, a, there's a regulatory and a permitting work stream. There's a, there's, there's a financing work stream, the engineering work stream, um, safety work streams, and so on. 
we've really just passed through the first gate, which is our feasibility study. And the next gate will be to finalize the financing model and the financing of the project. And in parallel with that, making sure that we progress uh, the regulatory and the permitting approval to become an independent power producer, to become the first private sector financed independent power producer for nuclear energy in the country. And it's difficult to put a timeline around the, the permitting and the regulatory approval process, but we will start that process in earnest early early in the new year, whilst continuing to move forward with them. Um, with all the other aspects of the of the project, because we believe this is such a compelling pro- proposition, we can't see a scenario in which the government won't support it. Well, I've been thinking about the government it took so long before it la- allowed the independent power producers. It took so long for it to be open about that. Would they be okay with a private company producing nuclear energy? Yeah. So, um, so of course, this has to be. Um, even though the, all the financing will be done by the private sector, it will be a private-public partnership in some way. And um, we will be creating a new model for private-public partnership for nuclear energy generation in South Africa. And uh, I think South, Africa's, South Africans have always been imaginative about solutions and creating um, new solutions to solve difficult problems. Sometimes we first overburden ourselves so extensively with problems before we rise to the to the challenge. But when we do rise, I, I South Africa's a track record of, of, of innovation. And so we are um, we are hopeful and optimistic that uh, that we would be able to agree and negotiate a way forward with the government on this. Um this is South Africa's opportunity to lose because several other countries in Africa are moving forward with similar projects. Uh, Ghana, Zambia, um Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, uh, these are all countries that have announced that they want to have small modular nuclear innovation. <clears throat> of course, they don't have the benefit of uh, of an established nu- and a successful nuclear sector as we have in South Africa. They don't have the benefit of the pebble bed experience. They don't have the benefit of a very well-established and trusted regulatory framework. So this is really South Africa's opportunity to lose. And um, this is no reason why the country can't lead this um, Across the continent, and then partner and export know-how products and services to other African countries, which will not only generate income but will also create more jobs, more opportunities for our young people. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about C Five Capital? You also involved in cyber security. Um, security is your background. Um, you you are sending people to the International Space Station with Axiom Space. Am I right? And now. You're doing this project. Why? So, um, so we're we're a specialist investment firm, um, and we are focused, as you say, on those three areas: cybersecurity, space, and advanced nuclear. Um, we started off by investing in cybersecurity, and as we went deep into the cybersecurity sector, we understood that the future of cybersecurity is going to be in space. Um, digital infrastructure is being built out in space. The most vivid example of it is Starlink, Elon Musk's um, broadband satellite network, but there are others, similar networks now being developed like Kuiper by by Amazon. And of course, we've had GPS, which have given us um, accurate time, location and navigation for a long period of time. But that increasingly is being messed with um, by, by hackers. So, so much of cybersecurity moved into space. 
that we had to invest into the space sector. And Axiom Space um, is one of our one of our flagships investments in the space sector. Axiom is a U.S. company that has the contract with NASA to build, own, and operate the next international space station. The NASA NASA is not building a new space station. The current space station has been a great success. It's been up for two decades. More than 250 astronauts have lived and worked there successfully. But NASA is now focused on their Artemis moon mission and beyond that, Mars. And so the space station, which is in low Earth orbit, which is sort of an overnight flight, um, uh, needs to be replaced and, and Axiom's leading the way on that. And as part of that, uh, we are democratizing space because up until now, the space station has been a very small, exclusive club of just 27 nations. And now we're opening up um, the possibility of having a space station program to any country in the world um, that's a responsible member of the international community and to um, and to corporations and foundations and private individuals. And so far, we've had uh, two successful missions to the space station, um, the AX-1 and AX-2 missions. A third mission will go um, in quarter one of next year. And then we just announced, Axiom just announced an agreement with the British government to do a British mission, which will be AX-4 um, in the foreseeable future. And um, these missions to the existing space station is all part of building the the new ecosystem for Axiom Station, which will launch in um, at the end of 2024, beginning of 2025. Sure. <laughs> you involved in a, a lot of a lot of interesting things, Andre. Can you tell us a, give us a little bit of background about Andre Pinot? Who who are you and why in uh, where does your interest in these various fields come from? Um well I'm I I'm I am a um, born in South Africa, um born in Utsuren. Um uh, my daddy was a pastor, um uh, my mama was a businesswoman, and um, as a as a little boy, I was very sickly. I I was very um, allergic to um, to dairy products, and I had asthma, and so I spent a lot of time in bed reading books. I probably read too many books, and um, and although I loved playing rugby and cricket and athletics, I I pro- probably was not you know a gold medalist in any of them. Um, but I loved reading books, and so um, we've all grown up with um, uh, with also with space programs as kids in the in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, and Buck Rogers and Star Wars and um, and Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek and all these things captured one's imagination, and so there's nothing more fun than to to pursue your dreams and to pursue your passions. Um, and to see whether you can't in that way bring about positive change. So that that's what motivates me and gets me out of bed. And then um and then I I very much care about um the security of our world, the safety of our world, the stability of, of the world that we're gonna leave for our children. And so um often when I look at these things I also look at the what are the international and the national security applications and implications of of technologies and new innovations, and, and what does that mean? Will it, will it make the world a safer place or not? And you remain committed to South Africa? Yes, South Africa is in my blood. Um, the dust of, of South Africa is in my blood. I care very deeply about the country. Last night here in Washington, D.C., I had the great 
privilege of dedicating the first public space to the memory of Nelson Mandela in the form of the Nelson Mandela Freedom Plaza, uh, which will be based in front of the U.S. Institute for Peace facing um, the Lincoln Memorial. And so um, I imagine this conversation between uh, President Mandela and President Lincoln uh, for the future, but the purpose of um, of this dedication was to create a space that reminds people of Nelson Mandela's legacy and leadership, his focus on diversity and inclusion and dealing with diversity and inclusion as strengths rather than weaknesses. He's a remarkable example of, of reconciliation, um, his extraordinary resilience, his focus on the importance of education and being a lifelong student and his um, great love for democracy and for the rule of law. Um, you know, Mandela always said, cherish democracy. If you cherish something, it's much more than defending or protecting it. And in my 20s, I had, uh, I had the opportunity to work with President Mandela and his cabinet on the creation of the Scorpions in South Africa. And that was a very formative experience for me. The fact that um, the President Mandela and his cabinet um, in the in a newly democratic South Africa, gave a 26-year-old uh, white Afrikaans kid an opportunity to be part of something really important and meaningful and and gave me their complete and unconditional backing on it uh, and something that was difficult and sensitive and often ended up with very difficult cases and, and always could, could count on the support of the government as the as the Scorpions emerged as the first law enforcement agency of the new and democratic South Africa. Well, I think on another day we should really talk about the Scorpions again. Andre Pinot, thank you so much. That was fascinating. Thanks, thanks for speaking to us. Lena, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for, for, for your interest and for business interest in, um, in all the things we're doing.